You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Welcome in, everybody, episode 545 for the podcast of the Speaking America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday, June 15th. 2022 people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody forgives me for going a little college baseball crazy over the last couple episodes of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Here is the deal for today's Wednesday show. We are going to get back to the nuts and bolts of what we do. We are going to open NBA draft is now eight days away from the time you guys and girls are listening to it. Maybe if you're listening after Wednesday, it's even closer than eight days away. But with the NBA draft now eight days away, uh, I came up with the 10 biggest questions about this year's NBA draft, ranging from the top players, the key picks, second round steals, first round busts, all of the stuff that you guys and girls want to know. Hit up my college basketball contacts, hit up my NBA contacts, and I have the 10 biggest questions in this 2022 NBA draft. From there, we'll take a quick break. We will come back and we will talk about the, uh, we will hit our mailbag, our, our, our Wednesday mailbag segment. It is back. I got a lot of really good questions from you guys and girls. Arch Manning, uh, college, ba- uh, college football week one games, college basketball, we're apparently playing another game on an aircraft carrier. We'll talk about that. So a lot of good stuff in the mailbag that will conclude the show. We will open the show with the 2022 NBA Draft. And so with that said, there is no more time to waste. Let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, as I just told you, 2022 NBA Draft is here. And I'll just be honest, I I don't know if this is where we are with the NBA Draft cycle. Players come to college, they leave faster, Uh, the impact that they have as rookies and second-year players sometimes can take longer, uh, or they don't have the impact that they used to back in the day, but it just feels like this year's NBA Draft, it's been a little bit of a quiet news cycle, hasn't it? We had the NBA lottery about three, four weeks ago. Obviously, Orlando with the first overall pick. Oklahoma City, number two. Houston, three. Sacramento, four. Detroit, five. But I don't feel like there's that obvious uh, top tier of players that everybody is really interested in. There isn't that clear-cut number one like Zion or Cade Cunningham or Kyrie Irving or Anthony Davis or whatever. And so it does feel like a little bit of a quieter NBA draft cycle. 
With that said, we're now eight, nine days away, eight, seven, six, whenever you're listening to this show. And so I do want to get into it because as I just said a minute ago, I've really spent the last, I don't know, week or two really hitting up a lot of my contacts across basketball, uh, talking to them about some of the top players. It goes without saying, Auburn's Jabari Smith, Gonzaga's Chet Holmgren, Duke's Paulo Bancaro are the top three players in this draft talking about some of these teams, talking about second-round steals, hitting up college people, hitting up NBA people. I should mention, by the way, if everything goes well, we'll have Bruce Pearl on the show Friday to talk about the potential number one overall pick in the draft, Jabari Smith. Uh, so fun week on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, and let's get into this. Here are my 10 biggest questions going into the 2022 NBA draft. Number one, I just mentioned Jabari Smith, and here is my number one question. Is Jabari Smith the no doubt about it number one overall pick in this draft? And listen, I I understand that I love college basketball. I think if you listen to this show, you love college basketball. But a couple things about this draft in general. First of all, what I will say is I do think that in general, if you're asking me about this draft, what I would say is that while, you know, we'll get to the number one pick in a minute. I do think there's probably more depth in the middle of the top 10 than there usually is. It feels like there's a clear number one, clear number two. Some years it's it's a top two, a top three, whatever. And then you get to pick four, five, six, seven. All of a sudden there's this massive drop off. This year I actually don't feel as though there's that much of a gap between number one and number, th- you know, number one and number eight, number two and number seven, number two and number eight, number two and number nine, whatever. I think you can get good players at the back end of the top ten. Johnny Davis from Wisconsin, Keegan Murray from Iowa, Ben Matherin from Arizona. But I also don't think those guys in the number one and number two spot are as can't miss as they have been in years past. I mean, think about most years with the number one overall pick. It feels like you're getting just about a certainty with the number one overall pick. Now, we can nitpick guys' careers as, as they've unfolded, but Kyrie Irving is the number one overall pick was a key part of a championship team with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. Anthony Davis, he's fallen apart. He said he didn't pick up a basketball in two months, but he is going to be a Hall of Famer as the number one overall pick. Zion Williamson, he's been banged up, but when he's healthy, he was an all-star who averaged 27 points a game. Ben Simmons, we can critique him. I certainly have, but he has been an all-star. So for the most part, that number one spot, even number two with guys like Brandon Ingram, John Morant, uh, whoever, For the most part, even at number two, you're getting a pretty clear-cut established star. And this year with Jabari Smith, I just this year with the number one spot, I am just not sold that there is that definitive, if you draft him, you 1,000% are getting a future NBA All-Star, which brings us to Jabari Smith. Jabari Smith is an interesting guy because... This is going to sound terrible, right? You tune into this show because you want strong opinions, you want honesty, you want clarity, you want whatever. I have no super strong opinions on Jabari Smith. Do I see why Orlando wants to take him number one overall or why he is projected to go number one overall? Most NBA mock drafts seem to have him at number one overall. I actually do. Guy is six foot ten, shoots 43% from three, and is a really, really, really gifted athletic player. Six foot ten, super long, super skilled, uh, really has an ability to hit every shot on the floor. And so when, when, when the question is asked, who do I think will go number one? I do think it's Jabari Smith. Now the question is, is that who I would take number one? No, I would take Paulo Bancaro. I told you that after the NBA draft lottery. 
But I also think while I understand why Orlando probably will take him number one overall, I don't think he is that no doubt about it, take him and don't even sweat it number one overall pick that we traditionally get in this draft. I do think there are concerns, and I do think there's a scenario where he could be a really good NBA player, but not the future superstar that you're hoping to draft at number one overall. When I look at Jabari Smith, when I look at what he did, here's the bottom line about him. I, I, I like the skills. I do like the skills. But there are some concerns, mainly that, does he shoot the ball from three a little bit too much? Okay, I went ahead and looked this up because it felt like, in my head, this was a guy that mostly hung out inside or outside the perimeter especially on offense catch shoot uh deep threes all that good stuff and the numbers back it up this was a guy that how about this on offense he had 32 total offensive rebounds the entire season okay so that means that over the course of a 34 game season a guy that is six foot ten averaged under one offensive rebound per game What does that say to me? It says he mostly hangs out on the perimeter on offense. And really, even though, listen, you don't want to limit a guy that's six foot 10. You don't want to pull him uh, uh, close to the basket if that's not where he's best utilized. But you do hope that he'd spend a little bit more time in the paint and getting easy baskets, not just settling for threes. My other concern about Jabari Smith, and this is something where, again, it goes into the fact that I've watched him, that I've covered him, that I've watched him for years in high school basketball. I think he's a really good player, but when you're talking about the number one overall pick in the draft, you got to nitpick a little bit, and my nitpick is this. He is a great shooter at 6'10". He is not a great creator at 6'10". If you watched Auburn, he was great in catch-and-shoot scenarios. He was great in scenarios where um, a play was run for him. But if you just gave him the ball at the top of the key and said, hey, go be Kevin Durant, go get yourself a bucket... That is not something that he's capable of doing right now. Now, be clear, he's 19 years old. To be clear, he's one of the youngest players in the draft. And to be clear, that can develop. But I think we all get enamored by 6'10", 43% three-point shooter. But right now, that three-point percentage is based solely on catch and shoot and the ability of others to set him up. When did Auburn start struggling? When their guards tried to do too much? When their guards stopped creating for Jabari Smith? And when Jabari Smith was left to create on his own late in the year, that was when they struggled. So this is all a long-winded way of me saying, I do like Jabari Smith. I get why he is probably the leader in the clubhouse to go number one overall. But I think when you have that number one overall pick, you're really hoping for a pretty darn sure thing. Again, we can criticize the career trajectories of Anthony Davis, of Kyrie Irving, uh, but those guys are future Hall of Famers. Ben Simmons, a multiple-time All-Star. Zion Williamson, 27 points per game and an All-Star in the one year where he was healthy. I don't know if we ever get there with Jabari Smith. Maybe we do. But could I also just see the scenario where he is a really skilled six foot nine, six foot ten, maybe like a guy like Rudy Gay that I actually went to school with at UConn back in the day? I could, uh, and obviously that's not what you want from the number one overall pick. Number two, biggest question about this 2022 NBA draft: Is it fair to have concerns about Chet Holmgren? And so it's interesting, right? I talked about this on Monday's show, Shaden Sharp. We'll talk a little bit about Shaden Sharp, but I did a big segment on Shaden Sharp on Monday. And a big crux of it was that last week I was at the Pangos All-American High School Camp, which is a high school basketball All-American camp that NBA scouts are allowed at. I love to go to this event because you see a lot of the best high school players in America, which become great college players, which then become great NBA players. 
I've seen Trey Young there. I've seen Jonathan Kaminga there. I've seen Michael Porter there. I've seen Hamadou Diallo there. I've seen Lonzo Ball there. On and on and on and on and on. What's great about this event, though, is that it is a high school event that where NBA personnel are allowed. And one thing that is great is that I can pick the brains of a bunch of NBA people in the building at the same time um, rather than get everybody on the phone, whatever. And so when I saw my NBA buddies, when I was talking to them, one big question that I kept asking them was about Chet Holmgren. Not, is your team going to pick him? Where do you? My question was, am I crazy to have questions about him? We all know Chet Holmgren, seven foot one, Gonzaga, uh, you know, 190 pounds, doesn't weigh anything. And it was one of those things where I, I, I kept going back to this. I have real concerns about him. But, but is it just me spending too much time on social media, people that don't know what they're talking about, overanalyzing this guy, watching him one time in the tournament and saying he'll never play in the NBA? Or do actual NBA people have the same questions about Chet Holmgren? Do they have the same concerns that he is going to be a guy that either never develops, never puts on weight, never gets to where he needs to be? Well, what I can tell you is definitively this. I talked to a handful of NBA people. And they all told me, Torres, you are not crazy. We all have the same concerns about him. Now, to be clear, Chet Holmgren's awesome, okay? And to be clear, by the way, Chet Holmgren has always been skinny, and it has never really affected him as he has moved up different levels of, of, of basketball. And that includes this last year at Gonzaga, where he averaged 14 points per game, 10 rebounds, shot 39% from three, and had four blocks. And as I've talked about many times, I saw him in person twice in back-to-back games, and the two games that I saw him against, uh, UCLA in November, and then I saw him against Duke later in the week, and it was really interesting because you kind of saw the best and worst of him in those two games. Against UCLA, he was awesome, he controlled the paint, he ran the floor, 15 points, 2 of 4 from 3, all that good stuff, and then the second game against Duke kind of got pushed around a little bit by Mark Williams, who we'll talk about in a minute, Duke Center. And so I bring it all up to say I have seen the good about Chet and I've seen the bad about Chet and I wanted to ask NBA people, am I, do I have, am I okay? Does it make sense for me to be concerned about them? And the universal answer was yes. And all I will say is a lot like I said about Shaden Sharp the other day. The same questions that you and I have about Chet Holmgren, NBA people have about him too. Is he ever going to put on weight? How long is it going to take? How long is it going to take for him to physically be able to handle playing in the NBA? I know we all want to use Kevin Durant as the extreme of, well, Kevin Durant did it and he's still skinny. Kevin Durant averaged 25 points a game at Texas as a freshman, okay? Kevin Durant is a -a once-in-a-lifetime guy, and we have a lot more examples of other guys that were super skinny that either took a long time to put on weight, took a long time to get adjusted to the physicality and the size and the strength of NBA players, And some guys that just never made it. Now, the good news is there are guys that do eventually put on weight. Giannis is the most obvious one. You know, I think he's probably put on 50, 60 pounds of muscle at this point. But what I will say is there are some concerns about Chet. Now, the good news for Chet, Chet is actually in a very advantageous position where he is a guy that's probably going to take two, three years to really develop into the NBA player that people want him to be if he ever gets there. But at number two and number three, there are two teams that are willing to wait. The Oklahoma City Thunder, they are in like year three or four of this rebuild, but Sam Presti, it seems as though he's got a lot of leeway, it seems as though he has trust from the ownership, and it seems as though if he wants to take a flyer on a long-term project like Chet Holmgren, he will be allowed to. 
Houston, it's the same deal. They're in year two of a rebuild. They're just trying to get good players. And so I don't see the scenario where Chet Holmgren falls past number three. Uh, but what I will tell you, it's the same thing I told you about Shaden Sharp the other day. There are legitimate questions about him. Uh, and I went to Bengals All-American camp wondering, am I absolutely crazy for having these questions about Chet Holmgren? And the answer appears to be no. All right, you know what I want to do? I'm actually going to take a quick break. I was going to keep going. But that would turn into a very long segment. Going to take a quick break. Going to come back, hit on questions 3 through 10. Some other players to keep an eye on. Some guys that I like more than most. Some guys that I don't like more than most. Going to take a quick break. I'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do... The NBA Finals are here. DraftKings Sportsbook, our good friends. Incredible offer for first-time users. And I, I know I say it's an incredible offer all the time. This one is unbelievable. First-time users, DraftKings Sportsbook, here's the deal. Bet $5 on either Golden State or Boston. Doesn't matter which one. Bet $5 money line bet as soon as you make the bet. DraftKings give you, gives you $150, free bets guaranteed. Doesn't matter if the bet wins, loses, you bet $5, they give you $150 of guaranteed free bets. Again, it's the best offer going. Here's how you sign up. Click the link in the show description and sign up for a new account with DraftKings Sportsbook and make your first deposit. Make a $5 bet on either team. And whether that team wins or not, it does not matter. You get an automatic $150 Thanks to our friends at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. It is the best offer going in sports betting. So go ahead and act now. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. 
Must be 21 plus or over to enter. 18 plus or over in Wyoming. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, Louisiana, New York only. Minimum $5 deposit. Minimum $5 wager. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, it is time to keep this party going with number three in terms of the most fascinating questions heading into the 2022 NBA draft. Uh, are the Sacramento Kings at number four an inflection point in this entire NBA draft? And here's what I mean. Sacramento is the most fascinating team in this draft, and really the draft can go in a million different directions thanks to Sacramento. The question is why? Well, Orlando, number one overall. You haven't been in the playoffs in forever. you got to go get yourself the best player that you think can help you win. Oklahoma City, Houston, they're in total rebuild mode. And so for those two teams, it seems pretty obvious. Take the guy that you think is the best. Take the guy that you think will lead to the most success. And we're going to give you time to figure it out. And if this guy doesn't average 20 and 10 as a rookie, that's perfectly fine. Sacramento, though, is a completely different deal. Sacramento has not made the playoffs since 2006. I could be mistaken. It's certainly the longest streak in the NBA. I believe it's the longest streak in the four major sports. Just for some perspective, the New York Jets have made the playoffs twice since the last time Sacramento Kings made it. So it has been a long time. And the Sacramento Kings have basically a win-now edict from their ownership. I've, talked, I've been on a bunch of Kings podcasts and radio shows and all that stuff. And the Kings are tired of losing. The ownership is tired of losing. And especially now that there's these play-in games, the owner is like, guys, we got to get ourselves into the top 10. You can't get me into the top 10. You got to get me into the top 10. And so the Kings are drafting this year kind of with the understanding if we don't get in the playoffs next year, we're probably all getting fired. And so why the Kings become the inflection point of the 2022 NBA draft is pretty straightforward. It's because they could go in a million different directions. They could go with the player that most fits what they need right now because, again, the goal is to make the playoffs. And if that's the case, it's probably Iowa's Keegan Murray. They have a star point guard in De'Aaron Fox. They have an uh, all-star caliber player down low in DeMontis Sabonis. The one thing they need is kind of a role player, a guy that can fit a spot, a guy that can do certain things, and that's probably who Keegan Murray is. On the flip side, they could go in another different direction too. They could go with the best available player. Is that Jaden Ivey? The question in Sacramento right now becomes, can Jaden Ivey, the guard from Purdue, play with De'Aaron Fox? The bigger question becomes, does it really matter? Do you just take the best player and it doesn't matter and you figure out either how to play with those two guys together or if one of them turns into a star, you can always trade one, right? A few years ago, Sacramento drafted Tyrese Halliburton. He was the best guard available at the time. A lot like De'Aaron Fox, he ended up trading Tyrese Halliburton for uh, DeMontis Sabonis in the first place. Is this the landing spot for Shaden Sharp? is another question that's going on in Sacramento right now. Do we say, who cares about getting a guy that can fit right now if we believe that Shaden Sharp is maybe the best player or two in this draft? Do we reach on him on the upside? And so to me, the Kings are fascinating because the Kings could go in a million different directions. The last part of it, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that the Kings trade this pick. Again, Orlando needs good players right now. I don't think they're trading the number one pick. Houston and Oklahoma City are in rebuild mode. It doesn't make sense for them to take on older veteran players. The Kings need to win immediately. And so if they get an opportunity to trade that number four pick for somebody that could help them now, that's also a possibility. I just bring it up to say the Kings are fascinating at number four. Number four question 
of the top 10 questions of the 2022 NBA draft. Here's the next one. The Pistons at number five. Are they one piece away from being the Memphis Grizzlies? And here's what I mean by that. So in the NBA, if you get the right young players, it flips really quick, right? The Memphis Grizzlies went from the ninth seed in the 2020 bubble to 18 months later, they were the number two seed in this year's playoffs. Ninth seed in the bubble, eighth seed last year in the playoffs. Now they were the number two seed, and it was all because they nailed like seven draft picks in a row. Nailed John Morant. Then they nailed Jaron Jackson. Then they got a couple late first, early seconds in Desmond Bain and Brandon Clark. And all of a sudden, you have a young, dynamic, fantastic core that gets you the number two seed in the playoffs. And so I'm not saying the Detroit Pistons are there, but I don't think they're that far away either. First of all, ended up with the number one pick in last year's draft. They got Cade Cunningham, friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, by the way. Cade is absolute, was everything that he was expected to be. 17.5 points, 5.5 rebounds, 5.5 assists per game. On top of that, Sadiq Bey, who you drafted in the 2020 COVID draft, has already turned into a star, averaged 16 points per game. Isaiah Stewart, who was a late first, early second round pick in that 2020 COVID draft, I think he was the COVID draft, he might have been the year before, I can't remember, um, he has turned into a very productive player. And so you now have three really good players that you have drafted in the last two years. And as I said, I think they are one pick away from being absolutely fascinating in terms of this, the, the, the future of this organization. And so it becomes, if they nail this pick, again, I'm not saying they're winning the NBA title next year, but could you see the scenario where they go from wherever they finish this year to the eighth seed, to a three seed a year or two from now? I think I could see it. And the, the crazy thing about the Pistons, what makes them so interesting, is that because of who Cade Cunningham is, I really think they could draft just about anybody, and that guy could step in and have success, and here's why. Because Cade is one of the most unique young players in the league. Yes, he has the ball in his hands, but he's not a guy looking for 30 shots a game. If he averages, if he gets 8 points per game but 12 assists and that team wins, Cade is happy. He talked about it on this podcast. And so I just bring it up because when I look at the Pistons, they could go in so many different directions. They could go get Jaden Ivey the guard from Purdue who's better off the ball than on it, and he could just all of a sudden be a 16, 17-point-a-game guy. They could get Johnny Davis from Wisconsin. They could get Ben Matherin. They could get Keegan Murray. If one of the Paolo, um, you know, Chet, Jabari guys falls, they could go get him, and they all fit with Cade Cunningham. So I think the inflection point in this draft is is the Sacramento Kings, but you talk about fascinating. You talk about an organization that could go from top five to the fringes of the playoffs pretty quick. I think the Detroit Pistons are there. They pick at number five. Number six question on today's show. Actually, it's number five. Number one was, should Jabari Smith be the number one pick? Number two, concerns about Chet. Number three, Sacramento Kings. Number four, Detroit Pistons. Number five, who is the most undervalued player in the draft? And I'll say this. I think it's Johnny Davis from Wisconsin, and it's really fascinating, right? Because the way that we evaluate players now it starts at just a ridiculously young age like like I, I I can tell you right now that your favorite NBA team has a book on the top high school players that are sophomores and juniors in high school right now might not be extensive they might not have seen them a ton but they start doing homework on these kids at 14 15 16 years old and so why do I bring it up it is because I believe that Johnny Davis is being hurt because of the fact that 
that he was hurt late in the season. In other words, you spend five, six, seven years evaluating these kids. This kid was a late bloomer, came on late, had a great season. Then he gets hurt in, right before the Big Ten tournament, right before the NCAA tournament. He doesn't play well, and now he is tumbling down draft boards. For people who did not follow Wisconsin basketball religiously this year, here's what you need to know. Middle to the end of the season, Johnny Davis was neck and neck with Oscar Shibway as the national player of the year. Uh, and some people had Johnny Davis late into the season. Then what ends up happening? He gets hurt like basically the last or second to last regular season game. Uh, one and done in the Big Ten tournament. NCAA tournament, he shoots four of 16 in a second round loss to Iowa State. And now people are talking about him as like the eighth to 12th pick in this draft. Whereas I think if he's just healthy and I think if he balls out in the NCAA tournament like he had all year, we're talking about him right in that four to seven range with Jaden Ivey, with Keegan Murray, with Shaden Sharp, all those guys. And so when I talk about a guy that I think can step in right away, that can get buckets, a guy that can just do everything offensively, Johnny Davis is it. And I think he's undervalued because I think he's going to go somewhere between like seven and 11 or 12. And I think he's anywhere, he, he probably should be drafted somewhere in the four to six range. He's a player that, as I said, was phenomenal in terms of creating his own offense, carried a Wisconsin team to essentially a Big Ten regular season title, 20 points per game, eight rebounds per game as a 6'4 guard. Didn't shoot the ball great from three, but 31% overall, and he did all this as the focal point of his team's offense. Imagine him going to Detroit and playing off Cade Cunningham. Imagine him going to Sacramento and playing off of, uh, off of De'Aaron Fox. Imagine him going to Portland alongside Damian Lillard as Portland drafts at number nine overall, number eight, or number seven overall. Number eight, the New Orleans Pelicans. We know who they got, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, Herb Jones. Imagine him going there. So I don't want to belabor the point, but I really like Johnny Davis. I really think he's undervalued. Uh, and to me, he is the most undervalued player in this draft. Question number six. Who are some other undervalued players? I've talked about a lot of these guys, so I'll be quick. One, Ben Matherin from Arizona. This was a guy I talked about him on this show quite a bit, but I remember talking to someone on the old Arizona staff, not the staff that uh, was here this past year, um, and they told me, this kid could have gone pro last year. He decides to come back. He knows that he's not ready, and he blossoms into a star. So one, I love the self-awareness. Two, he was absolutely awesome as a sophomore at Arizona, 17 points per game, 37% from the field. Another guy that early in the year we were talking about as a national player of the year candidate. I mean, some of his games were incredible. 28 points against a really good Tennessee team, 30 points against a really good Illinois team. I think he's completely undervalued. I think he's going to be a really good pro. Really excited about Ben Matherin. Another guy's kind of the opposite perspective of Ben Matherin, a guy that evolved and turned himself into a star. That was Ben Matherin. This guy played a role. He will be a role player in the NBA, and I think sometimes we undersell the guy that wasn't the star in college because he wasn't. He didn't. He he played a specific role, but I think playing a specific role in this case is going to work out well. And that's Mark Williams at Duke. Seven feet, two hundred forty-five pounds, eleven point seven and a half rebounds per game, almost three blocks per game. He was a role player at Duke, and I think he's going to come into the NBA and play that exact same role. Super athletic, can guard in space. Offensively, he does not need plays run for him, which I think is a very important element of all this. 
And I'm really excited to see him play. I'm really excited to see him in the NBA. I think he's a modern big. I think we spend so much time talking about Paolo and Chet, uh, or, or, or Chet down low and Paolo with Duke that we forget how good this guy was. He played a key role. I thought at times he was the most important player for Duke, even more important than Paolo. Mark Williams is another guy that I believe is undervalued. Now let's get to the overvalued guys at number seven. Who are the most overvalued guys? The first guy is obvious, and we talked about him on last episode, and I don't need to belabor the point because I already did 20 minutes on him. It's Shaden Sharp. And if you missed my big Shaden Sharp speech last episode, go back and listen to it. But what stands out to me about Shaden Sharp is pretty straightforward. One, we haven't seen him play any competitive basketball at all over the last probably year and a half. Uh, Two, it's what I talked about on Monday. We don't know why he didn't play competitive basketball. Is it because the adults in his life shut him down? Did Calipari not want him to play? Did he not feel as though he was ready? So one... We don't know why he didn't play, but two, here's the other part about it as well. This was a guy that we had questions about his competitive spirit as it was before the whole situation at Kentucky. And so he didn't have a great motor. He was a guy that we questioned his motor, and then he didn't play for a year, and nobody is totally sure why. So I understand the concerns about Shaden Sharp going into this draft. I understand why people like him. I understand why it only takes one team to take a risk. But I do understand why there are concerns about him as well and why some people may just skip out on drafting him altogether. I think he's one of the most fascinating prospects we've ever had. I have no idea. As I said, it's only going to take one team. But what I would also finally say on Shaden Sharp that's worth considering, I was told by some people around Kentucky, like this was like early on in the draft process when it was that he might actually come back. There were some people that were like, even he knows he's not ready. And so you talk about a guy, competitive motor questions, didn't play, and there are there is buzz. And this is not like a Kentucky person trying to convince me to put it out there in public so that, that, it, that he'll be forced to come back. Like this was somebody who had his best interest at heart that was really like, look, the kid wasn't ready. He wasn't ready to be that dude at Kentucky. Um, and I'd be concerned if I was drafting him, that's all. The other big guy that I would say that I have that I believe is a little bit overvalued, E.J. Liddell from Ohio State. So I'll just be honest. I, I, I just don't get this one, okay? So E.J. Liddell, for people who did not watch a ton of Ohio State, uh, first of all, declared for the draft last year, six foot seven, averaged 19 points, eight rebounds per game, and shot 37% from three. I want to give this kid credit because to his credit, he basically came to college as a back-to-the-basket player after last season he declared for the NBA draft. And NBA people basically told him, look, you're six foot seven. You can't be a low post guy. You got to stretch it out. You got to be able to shoot threes. You got to be versatile. And he did all that. But at the same time, you got to. This is part of me being the college basketball guy. I actually watched all of his games, and I just never watched him and said that's a top twenty kid. Yet he's being projected as a top twenty guy in this NBA draft. I just don't see it. I don't see what he does at an elite level. He doesn't have elite size. He doesn't have elite length. He doesn't have elite athleticism. He's six foot seven, not a great ball handler, by the way. He's not a guy that grew up at six foot seven as a wing and a guard. He's a guy that grew up as a low post player and has developed into more of a wing player. So he's not a great ball handler. He's a great shooter, but again, part of it is like that Jabari Smith, more of the, um, you know, he can catch and shoot, but he's not creating. He's not getting the ball at half court, you know, ripping, crossing two dudes over and pulling up for three. And so I'll just be honest, like, like, like I don't wish ill will on anybody. 
I hope he has a great NBA career. He's the one that I, I just I don't get it. No elite size, no elite athleticism, uh, kind of a low post player that's learning how to play the wing. Uh, I don't see it. I don't get why he's a top 20 pick, but a lot of people seem to have him that high. All right, number eight. Let's get to the prospect that I just, I don't know what to do with. The prospect that I just have no idea what to do with. That is A.J. Griffin from Duke. A.J. Griffin is a fascinating case study, okay? And and part of it is is unfortunate, but junior year he gets hurt. First of all, top five recruit in the 2021 high school class basically since they started ranking the class really 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 good prospect but his junior year he gets hurt his senior year he doesn't play because of covid his dad is an nba assistant he actually just goes work works out with nba teams gets hurt at the beginning of the year at duke and by the time he comes back with duke all the roles are pretty established paulo's the guy mark williams is the energy rim runner uh jeremy roach and trevor keels are the guys with the ball in their hands and A.J. Griffin just kind of becomes the guy that stands in the corner and knocks down a bunch of threes. And to his credit, he was really good at it. This past year at Duke, A.J. Griffin, here are the stats on A.J. Griffin. 10 points per game, 45% three-point shooting. And it's not as though he didn't barely attempt any threes. More than half of his shots came from behind the three-point line. And so why I don't know what to do with him is because it's pretty straightforward. One on a positive side, every team needs elite shooting, and if all he ever becomes is just a really good stand standstill shooter, he can find a role in this league. I just don't know if he's capable of doing more or if anybody's going to want him to do more. And if he is only a three-point shooter, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like he can get that in the middle of the first round, end of the first round, second round, whatever. And that's where the confusion comes in for me because what is he actually capable of and then on top of that, here's the other thing too. He's a baby. I could be mistaken. I think he's actually the youngest player in this draft. He is still 18 years old. He'll be 19 in August. So remember, you have to be 19 in the year of the draft, 2021, to be eligible. He is one of the youngest players in this draft. And so I sit there and I say, like, I'm overanalyzing him, but he averaged 10 points a game, shot 45% from three as an 18-year-old freshman at Duke. And is it fair to compare him to players that in some cases are two, three, four years older? Ochai Abaji, for example, from Kansas, is a 22-year-old player that played four years of college basketball. Plays the same position, does essentially the same things. If A.J. Griffin had three more years of college basketball to catch up with Ochai Abaji, would I feel differently about A.J. Griffin than I would, uh, would I feel, would, would A.J. Griffin be the player that Ochai Abaji would be? And I think he would be. And so I bring it all up to just say, he is the one player I don't know what to do with. On the one hand, he really only showed one skill, the ability to hit three-pointers. On the other hand, he was super young. It's a skill that everybody needs. And who's to say that he can't get better? He's one where I could just see him for the next 10 years just being a three-point shooter and being a really good role player on an NBA team. But I could also see the scenario where he develops a, a complete game and becomes like a, a multi-time all-star and becomes really, really good. Let's wrap up two more quick things on the 2022 NBA draft. Number one, uh, and this is my ninth thing, which player has the biggest boom-bust potential? Uh, I think A.J. Griffin is probably there, but what I would say about A.J. Griffin is um, that outside of A.J. Griffin, the guy that seems obvious to me is Jaden Ivey, and I talked about this uh, following the NBA draft lottery. 
But Jaden Ivey's a really interesting cat, right? Because he's another one. All the physical tools are there. Jumps out of the gym, improved three-point shot, averaged 17.5 points per game. And so I'm not dumb enough to call a guy that might be the best athlete in the draft, 17 points per game, major college basketball, can shoot threes. I'm not going to call him a bust. I'm not going to project that he's a bust either. Same time, keep in mind with this. He seemed to get worse as the season went on. Even though he's kind of a lead guard, doesn't really make people better, three assists, two turnovers per game. Finally, he disappeared in some really big games at some really big moments. And I, I talked about this after the lottery, but that St. That Saint Mary's uh, St. Peter's game excuse me, is the perfect example. If you remember, Purdue lost to St. Peter's in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. He disappeared. Nine points, 33% from the field. He finished that game shooting one of six from three, two assists, six turnovers against St. Peter's. Dude, if you're a top five pick, which he's being projected to be, Take over that game. St. Peter's barely has any guys that are high major players, let alone NBA caliber players. I just don't know what to make of him. I would probably stay away. I don't love him, but I could see the scenario where he's really good. Finally, let's wrap a couple second round steals. Give you a couple guys that I think are going to be taken in the second round that I really, really, really like. First one, Walker Kessler from Auburn. Uh, He may sneak into the first round, but he was the National Defensive Player of the Year. Another guy that played a role this year, which I think when you're in the second round, you're going to be a role player. You're not going to be a star. Learn your role, earn your role, and star in your role. Well, Walker Kessler did that even this past year at Auburn, 11 points per game, eight, eight rebounds per game, four and a half blocks per game as the National Player of the Year. Love Walker Kessler. If he falls to the second round, grab him when you can. Speaking of which, Uh, Another second rounder from my alma mater, UConn, Tyrese Martin. I always liked Tyrese Martin. I didn't understand why people weren't higher on him. Well, NBA draft process starts and he becomes one of the breakout stars. 13.5 points per game, 7.5 rebounds per game as a 6'7 guard, uh, a player that shot 43% from three, and another guy that really became a role player. R.J. Cole was the guy with the ball in his hands. He was the star. Adama Sinogo, they ran offense through him down low. And Tyrese Martin still figured out a way to average 14 points and 8 rebounds per game. I really like him. I think he's a second rounder. I think he's going to be a steal for somebody. Uh, Keep it going. Dalen Terry, I've talked about him a ton. I don't think he's going in the second round. I think he's going in the top 25 or so. And it wouldn't totally shock me if he goes in the top 20. Somebody at Pangos All-American Camp told me, uh, be ready to be stunned with where he ends up. Dalen Terry from Arizona is one. Uh, and those, I think, are the big guys. Orlando Robinson from Fresno, really good player. 20-9 and nine guy at Fresno State. Uh, I've known Orlando since he was probably about 16 years old, junior in high school. He went to high school not far from me here in Los Angeles, got to know him well. Great kid, and I think he'll be a great NBA player. Tell you what, that was a lot of NBA draft talk. Some of you have told me, oh, you, got, you haven't done enough draft talk tours. Well, there was 30 minutes of it right off the top. So what I want to do. I do want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. And when I come back, uh, we will talk. We'll do a little mailbag. A lot of good questions in the mailbag this week. Arch Manning, um, best announcers I thought was a really interesting one. Uh, games on sailboats, uh, the, 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 war, the, the aircraft carrier, where it looks like we're getting another college basketball game on the aircraft carrier. So I will discuss all that next. I'm going to take a quick break. I'll be right back. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, 
I want to welcome in a new sponsor, Athletic Greens and AthleticGreens.com. With one delicious scoop of AG1, that's Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. Quick side story. The founder of this company, they were experiencing gut health issues and were spending over $100 a day on vitamins and supplements. They knew there had to be a better way. That's Athletic Greens. For the cost of just $3 a day, you can get Athletic Greens. Here's the best part. It contains less than one gram of sugar with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. No GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash emerging. That's athleticgreens.com slash emerging for one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take over ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Thank you again for being our partner. All right, everybody. Uh, Oh, yeah, that screwed you up so bad. Don't even lie. You're driving to your car. You're like, is my stereo broken? All right. Let me do that again. All right, everybody. (laughs) I am back. So good to be back. So good to be back. Uh, Great NBA draft stuff. If you like the NBA draft stuff, I I hope you do. Because we ain't slowing down anytime soon. Uh, Bruce Pearl. uh, Barring something catastrophic, Bruce Pearl is on the calendar. I'm talking to him on Thursday. He will be on the show Friday. How many people you know getting the coach of the potential number one pick in the draft, Bruce Pearl, on their show this week? Oh, your boy Torres did. And your boy Torres delivered. It's what we do. So we'll have some Bruce Pearl on Friday. Next week, maybe potentially another guest. Uh, Obviously, Thursday night is NBA draft night. We'll have some reaction on Friday. So busy week, fun week, NBA draft. With that said, let's wrap today's Wednesday show, though, with what we've done every Wednesday here for about the last five, six weeks, and that is your user-submitted listener mailbag, okay? Concept is pretty straightforward. It's a little bit of a slower time. Rather than me deciding what we are going to talk about, uh, I leave it up to you. Every Tuesday on Twitter, on Instagram, I put out questions. I say, ask me anything. Doesn't have to be sports related. Doesn't have to be college football. Doesn't have to be college basketball. Whatever you want, I will answer it. The only caveat is this. As long as the answer does not result in me getting a divorce or arrested, I will answer the question. So I got some great questions for, for today's show. As always, if you want your question answered, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Also, uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. You can always DM me as well to get to me. Let's get to some of the questions for today's show. First one, Brian Pasenik, I believe is a broadcaster in Alabama. Brian Pasternak says, who are your favorite all-time and current college sports broadcasters, national, regional, local, or school? Brian, great question. Incredible question. And what I would say is this. I'm not an announcer snob. I think there's these people on social media, oh, I don't like that guy. Oh, I don't like this guy. Oh, this. 
I think the great ones are great for a reason, right? In, in the NFL, and we'll get to the college guys in a minute, like Al Michaels is awesome. There's no, there's no like Al Michaels take to have. He's really good. Um, whoever, Jim Nance is really good. Troy Aikman obviously is a play-by-play, is not play-by-play, but he's really good. So I'm not a huge announcer snob, but it's a great question. Let me get to some of my favorites. First of all, I'm a little bit too young for Keith Jackson. Now, I do remember Keith Jackson. He was basically, for people who do not know the younger audience, he was basically like the Chris Fowler of his era, called every big game. All the big games felt bigger with Keith Keith Jackson. Unfortunately, I remember him, but it wasn't like the, the soundtrack of my generation. So Keith Jackson is there. What I would say is when it comes to college football, two guys come to mind. The first, Uncle Vern, Vern Lundquist, friend of the Aaron Torres podcast. He put out a book about three years ago when this show first launched. I had Vern Lundquist on, one of my favorite all-time interviews for this show. You cannot be of a certain age and not love Vern Lundquist, okay? He was the voice of SEC on CBS. Obviously, you hear the music, dun, 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 dun. Like, that, sh- I was about to say the S word. I'm sorry, forgive me. But that sends shivers down my spine. Vern and Gary, there was nothing bigger. Brad Nessler is great, but Vern was just Vern, right? He wasn't perfect. He messed up names. He got stuff wrong, but he was Vern. It was CBS it was Saturday. There was nothing bigger. There was nothing more important. Vern Lundquist will always be at the top of that pyramid for me. And in terms of college football, the other guy is Brent Musburger. Listen, I know people like try to be controversial. Brent Musburger was awesome. And like I said a minute ago with Keith Jackson, like I said with Vern Lundquist, when it was a big game, it just felt bigger when Brent Musburger was on the call. I'll say this. All these years later, I still wish he was calling games with, with, with Kirk Herbstreit. It's no disrespect to Chris Fowler. It doesn't feel as big with Chris Fowler as it did with Brent Musburger. I know he was calling some games with the Raiders. Apparently, he's gone now. I don't know if he's just basically in retirement. Obviously, he's doing some stuff with VEASAN out in Vegas, but I miss Brent on the big calls. I would say those two, Vern and Brent, in terms of big-name broadcasters, it just feels big. Let me add this. Gus Johnson's awesome. There's this big like counterculture, like everybody loved Gus, so now you can't love Gus. No, Gus, big noon with Joel, feels big. And the great thing about Gus, he delivers in the big moments. Doesn't matter if it's a Michigan-Ohio State game, Ohio State-Penn State, Big 12, uh, Red River rivalry. He's had a few of those with Joel Klatt now. I think Gus is awesome. I'm not going to be one of these guys that pretends that I don't like Gus. I love Gus. In terms of color commentators in college football, Joe Klatt's awesome. Now, Joe Klatt's a little bit of a friend. I actually had him on like episode three of this podcast a million years ago when this first started, Uh, but I think he's great. And the thing about Joel, it's a lot like Herbie. He loves college football, and he only wants what's best for college football. Um, I think he's great. I think he's awesome. He's prepared. I can tell you, I have been in meetings with Joel Klatt. There is no human being in any walk of life, in any business who is more prepared than Joel Klatt. He takes it seriously. He preps for days and hours, and he puts his researchers to work. He puts his producers to work. When he goes on the air, it is with an unquestioned amount of prep and, and all that good stuff. So Joel Klatt, obviously Herbie speaks for itself. Really quickly in college basketball, a couple guys that stand out. I'll say this. Fran Fraschilla I think is incredible. Um, Fran Fraschilla is a guy that when he steps on the mic, I learn something new every single time. 
time that, that he calls a game. I would add this, another guy that I've been around. I haven't been in production meetings with him, but I can tell you this. Fran Fraschilla loves basketball. He just loves being in the gym. And more importantly, it's not just that he loves the sport of basketball. He loves people and he loves stories. And if you listen to him on those Big 12 broadcasts, you can hear. Uh, first time I met him, he was in seventh grade at a CYO. Like, Fran Fraschilla right now is in a gym somewhere. He loves basketball, so I love Fran Fraschilla. Uh, locally, Joe D'Ambrosio, I'll give him a quick shout-out. He was the voice of UConn when I was a kid. Love Joe D. In terms of announcers I don't like, I'll just give you one, Jay Billis. I don't even know if Jay Billis likes college basketball anymore. All he does is complain. All he does is eat ice cream at Rupp Arena. All he does is whine about the refs. I'm out on Jay Billis. But in terms of the great announcers that I love, Vern, Brent, Gus, uh, in terms of uh, of color commentators, Fran Fraschilla, Herbie, Joel Klatt, obviously Dick Vitale's an icon. I am out on uh, Jay Billis. Next question, Ben Patrick says, who is your favorite listener and why is it me? Well, it's you, Ben. In all seriousness, I do appreciate all of your guys' support. Uh, ben has been a loyal listener from day one, sends in questions all the time. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for your support. You know what you've done for this show. I truly appreciate it. Next up, Mike in the DMs. He says, did you, and that's not really his Twitter handle, he was in the DMs. Mike in the DMs says, did you see Gonzaga and Michigan State may play on an aircraft carrier? Your thoughts. Okay, so for people who didn't see this story, um, John Rothstein and Mac, Matt Norlander, I think, both put it out there right around the same time. But we may be getting ourselves another aircraft carrier game, people. And so for people who do not remember all of the great, uh, uh, all the details, about 10, 12 years ago, I think it was 2009, 2010, somewhere in that range, College basketball usually opens right around Veterans Day, and about 10 years ago, the first game uh, of the season was played on an aircraft carrier in the San Diego Harbor. It was Michigan State versus North Carolina. Then they did a couple more of them. There were weather issues. There were issues with the court, and they stopped doing them. This week, we find out that Michigan State and Gonzaga may bring back the tradition. What I would say, a couple quick thoughts on this. One, listen, I love any big games in college basketball, and I love anything that makes the sport feel unique. I think we have so much um, just, you know, everything in, in sports kind of bleeds together, right? We, every NFL game is available. We talked about this last episode. Every college game is available. Every college basketball game is available. One thing that I do think college basketball does very well, they do a great job of creating events that create interest for fans. This would be one of them. If you bring back the aircraft carrier game, I think it'll be awesome. Also, I think it'll be a great showcase for Gonzaga, Michigan State. And let's be honest, I don't mean to be the cliche, let's do it for the troops guy, but anytime we can do anything for our armed services, anytime we can do anything for, for those folks who protect our country that will take them out of what they do for two, three, four hours and allow them to relax, allow them to have fun, I'm in favor of. The only negative that I would say to this, if you remember, the first aircraft carrier game was North Carolina-Michigan State. I think it was 2009 or 2010. It was a huge success. Then we tried doing them two, three, four times a year, and a bunch of the games ended up getting canceled because of weather or because of ultimately actually condensation on the court, right? Uh, it's November, even in the south, even in the the the. the the, the Pacific Coast, San Diego, it gets cold, there becomes you know moisture in the air, and it became a hazard for players where the floor got slippery, guys were slipping and sliding, it wasn't safe. And so my only thing is, there is a reason that we stopped doing these. 
it's because they became unsafe for players. I would hope that in nine, ten years since we've done them, uh, that someone has come up with some technology that allows us to know that players will be safe. The worst thing that could possibly happen is if this was ESPN's opening day, marquee game, Veterans Day. We play all these games on Veterans Day. And then all of a sudden, we're getting ready to tip off and the game cannot be played. So I am in favor of it. I just want to make sure that the game actually freaking gets played. Uh, let's go next to, this was from the emails, Bo, who I'm guessing is a Georgia fan. You'll know why when I read the question. This is from Bo in my email. He said, clear, uh, he said hey, Aaron, longtime listener, first-time mailbag questioner. When Arch Manning commits to Georgia, do you see them winning four straight national titles or just three because he goes to the NFL after winning consecutive Heisman? Thank you for your time. Uh, first of all, I do know Bo. He is a Georgia guy. So shout out, Bo. Thank you for the question. Uh, and I think it was a little hyper hyperbolic. I don't think he actually expects Georgia to win four national championships with Arch Manning uh, as its quarterback. I don't think he expects Arch Manning to win three Heismans, but great question. Uh, and I think it speaks to kind of an interesting kind of update on Arch Manning. When I first talked about Arch Manning about five weeks ago, four weeks ago, he had cut his list down to three schools, three official visits, Alabama, Georgia, Texas. I said, if you're not crazy, just go to Alabama. You're going to win national championships. You're going to play with great players. You're going to get developed. Go to Alabama. What happens literally the next week? Alabama takes a commitment from a, a quarterback in the same high school class, Eli Holstein. And even though Arch Manning committed to, or even though Arch Manning visited Alabama this weekend, excuse me, I don't think he's actually committing there. And so it really feels like it's down to Georgia and Texas. It feels like Texas has taken the lead. And so with that, let's kind of get to the impact that Arch Manning could have on each of those schools. And let's start with Georgia, because I think even though Bo was kind of tongue-in-cheek, I do think it was kind of a legitimately great question as to what Arch Manning can do for Georgia. And you're probably sitting there saying, Torres, what do you mean, what can he do for Georgia? This is a team that has played for two national championships in the last five years, is the reigning national champion. There is nothing that he can do that Stetson Bennett didn't already do last year. And to a degree, I think that's right. But to a degree, I think we're also getting a little bit of creative revisionist history on Georgia. And you guys and girls know I love Georgia. How about my dogs? That's right. I picked Georgia to win the national championship in the preseason. But the reason I bring it up is that even though I picked them, even though I feel great, even though I've taken a victory lap since January, let's call a spade a spade here. Just about everything broke right for him, right? Regular season, they're absolutely dominant. The defense is great. The run game is great. You really don't need Stetson Bennett. Then you get destroyed by Alabama, and it just so happened that this was a year where there really weren't four teams that were good enough to make the playoffs. Cincinnati got in as the four seed. In a lot of other years, Georgia loses that SEC championship game. They don't even get to go to the playoffs. So they get back to the playoff, they dominate Michigan, and then never forget that Alabama game. Alabama was in control early, Alabama had a chance to win late, and they did it without Jamison Williams, one of the top wide receivers in the country, who got hurt in the middle of that game. John Mechie got hurt in the semifinal against Cincinnati, and really, yes, Georgia won the national championship. Yes, they're deserving. I am not discrediting what Georgia did, but they also had a lot of stuff break right. And so the question becomes, what happens this year when Stetson Bennett is back at quarterback, but stuff doesn't break right? Maybe they win the East. They're probably going to win the East. Maybe they get to the SEC championship game. Maybe they get to the playoff. But can you do it two years in a row without elite quarterback play? And I really don't know that you can't. And so to go back to Arch Manning, this is why it's important. Because if you think back, think about where Georgia is right now. Great defense, great run game. 
Um, you know, athletes all over the field, historic defenses every single season, especially last year. But they needed every break to win the national championship. Who does that remind you of? It reminds you of Alabama 10 years ago before Nick Saban made the commitment to open up his offense. And so why I bring it up, think about where Alabama is. Alabama is essentially in a second window of a dynasty. They had the early dynasty, three national championships in four years. They start to fall behind. They hire Lane Kiffin. They revamp the offense. They have since won three national championships. And spoiler alert, they're going to be the favorite to win one again this year. If Nick Saban doesn't make that change to his offense, this is not a team that is going on six national championships, potentially seven this year. And so I bring it up with Georgia because imagine what Kirby Smart's program is right now. One of the two to three best in the country, no doubt about it. As I said, two national championship games in the last five years, uh, you know, a national championship last year. Now imagine what they would be if they actually opened up the offense and had a legitimate NFL quarterback in the program and under center and letting him do what NFL quarterbacks do, like what Tua did, like what Mac Jones did, like what Bryce Young did at Alabama. It completely changes Georgia, and it completely changes the trajectory of the program. Now they don't need every break to compete for a national championship. Now all of a sudden they're in a situation where they can win games 16-0 like they have through the years. They can win a game 35-3 to like they did last year where they just wore people down. Or if you have a legitimate quarterback, you can win that game 35-31 if you have to, depending on who the opponent is. And yes, Georgia's defense is so good that maybe once or twice a year you're facing an offense good enough to do that to you. But the thing about college football, it's a lot like the NFL. It's becoming more and more, I believe, a quarterback-driven sport. Outside of Georgia last year, the quarterbacks that have won at the highest level, Joe Burrow, Mac Jones, Tua, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. I think I said Joe Burrow. These are all NFL quarterbacks. That's what you need to consistently compete for a national championship. That's the one thing Georgia's lacking. And imagine if Georgia had everything they have now with an elite quarterback. So to me, that is what Arch Manning's potential commitment could bring. No, I don't think he's winning three Heismans. No, I don't think they're winning four national championships. But you talk about something that could be impactful down the road for Georgia. I just don't think you can undersell it. And as far as Texas is concerned, I'll just say this. You know, you talk about another program that would be absolutely fascinating with Arch Manning. I think that one's a little bit more complicated for one simple reason. We got to see what happens this year with Sark, right? If Sark goes 5-7 and seven again this year, he might not ever get to coach Arch Manning. If he goes 5-7 and seven this year, he might be on the hot seat entering Arch Manning's freshman year. If he goes 5-7 and seven this year and then 7-5 and five the next year, he might get fired after Arch Manning's freshman year. So it's a little bit harder for me to say the potential impact that Arch Manning could have at Texas. I really want to see what, Arch, or what Steve Sarkeesian does this year at Texas before I say too much about what Arch Manning's potential uh, you know, impact could be at a place like, at, like, like a place like Texas. But I'll tell you this, man. He goes to Georgia. And he changes that offense in the way that Tua and Mac Jones and all these guys have changed the offense at Alabama. Now you're talking about another superpower with Alabama, maybe Ohio State, maybe Clemson, that can compete at the highest level every year. Last question, and this is a really good one. So this came from Wild Hog a few weeks ago. I've been waiting to answer this one. He actually addressed it to both me and Josh Pate, who's just a, a, a gangster, just awesome college football voice on YouTube and podcast, but he hit us up both up and he said, Real Wild Hog says, 
Can we talk about how K.J. Jefferson is the most underrated player in the SEC? K.J. Jefferson, of course, is the quarterback uh, of the Arkansas Razorbacks coming off a 9-4 and season, one of the best seasons in school history. And then what I would add is this. Real Wild Hog sent a very interesting graphic comparing K.J. Jefferson, who literally nobody talks about on the college, bas- on the college football national scale, with Will Levis, the quarterback at Kentucky, who some are projecting to be the number one overall pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. And why it's interesting is this. Will Levis is considered the number one overall pick potentially next year. Here are his stats last year. 66% completion percentage, 2,800 yards, 24 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Here are K.J. Jefferson's stats. 67% completion percentage, 2,700 yards, 21 touchdowns, 4 interceptions. We're talking about two guys with nearly identical stats that both did it in the SEC. K.J. Jefferson against the tougher SEC West. One is being projected as the potential number one overall pick. One is a guy that nobody's talking about. So first of all, this isn't a teardown Will Levis deal. But I will say I do have some questions about Will Levis, right? I watch all the Kentucky games. I think Will Levis was awesome. Kentucky was awesome last year. But the number one pick stuff is very weird to me. First of all, really had one great wide receiver in Wandale Robinson. He's gone. Uh, Two, the offensive coordinator Liam Cohen is gone as well. Uh, He went to the Los Angeles Rams. And it's not to say that Will Levis wasn't good. And it's not to say that they didn't hire an offensive coordinator kind of kind of with under the same umbrella, under the same tree as Liam Cohen. But to expect Will Levis to just continue at this level, I think it's going to be really tough. And I'll be honest, I watched him all last year. I think he's fine. I don't think he's elite, though. I think he's big. I think he's tough. I think he's physical. I think he's not afraid to put his shoulder down and get a big, tough yard. But let's also call a spade a spade here. At the end of the year, Mark Stoops kind of reigned in that offense, like he always does, relied a lot on the running game, and I'm just not sold on Will Levis. But it also isn't really answering the question that was posed to me, which is about K.J. Jefferson, and I'll be real, I do think he's underrated. Now, do I think he's a first-round NFL pick? I don't know. Do I think he's a Heisman Trophy candidate? I don't know. Do I think, though, that he is vastly underrated? Yeah, I do. Listen to those numbers again that I just spit out. Last season... As a starting quarterback in the SEC, 67% completion percentage, 2,700 yards passing, 21 touchdowns, four interceptions. Here's the crazy part. Arkansas went 9-4. and four. Nobody talks about it. And the losses all kind of make sense. Basically, one bad loss the entire season. They lose to Georgia. Well, everybody lost to Georgia. Literally, everybody that played Georgia lost last year. Alabama beat them, but then lost them a second time. They lost to Alabama by a touchdown. They lose to Ole Miss by one point in which K.J. Jefferson put up 51 points, but his defense gave up 52 And then he did have one bad game against Auburn. And so why KJ Jefferson is the most underrated player, I I do agree, by the way, that he's the most underrated player in the SEC. And I think it's for a few reasons. I think, one, it's because of the fact that he isn't like a super elite NFL draft prospect. And so we don't talk about him the way that we do Bryce Young and and Will Levis, frankly, and CJ Stroud and all those guys. Two, I just think Arkansas is like the most underrated 9-4 and four team that I've ever seen. I mean, think about who Arkansas, first of all, they lost to the two teams that played in the national championship and Ole Miss who won 10 games. They lost to them by one, okay? But think about who they beat. They beat A&M last year. They beat LSU last year. They beat Mississippi State last year. I mean, they beat a lot of really good teams, and we never talk about Arkansas for the season that we had. And if anything, you try to tear down Arkansas's wins, right? Well, they got A&M early in the year before they figured it out. Well, they, um, they beat LSU after they fired Coach O. Well, who cares? They won nine games. 
And I believe that, that, that KJ Jefferson is underrated, and I believe a big part of it is simply because of the fact that I don't think Arkansas gets the credit that they deserve for the success that they had last year. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It is time for me to get out of here. I want to thank you guys and girls for listening to the show. Really do appreciate it. And we'll be back Friday. Like I told you, if everything goes to plan, guess who's going to be on this show, baby? Bruce Pearl, head coach Auburn. He's going to be here to talk about Jabari Smith. Going to be here to talk about his 2023 squad. Really excited to have Bruce Pearl on this show. That will be on Friday. Next week, more NFL Draft Talk. And then I'll tell you this. We are really going to ramp up the college football stuff in the coming weeks. A couple really good guests coming up, all that good stuff. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. I want to thank you guys and girls for listening. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, UF head. I'll be back on Friday. New episode, Aaron Torres Pod. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.